0: Well, it's so great to get to be with you guys. Uh, Jonathan called me yesterday and, and told me that uh, he, and, he and his family were just so sick they couldn't be there. I, I hope you guys know how much Jonathan loves you and loves this church. Um, he, uh, it, it just breaks his heart that he can't be here to, with you guys this morning to be able to celebrate in the baby dedication and, and in Father's Day. Uh, but uh, I, I'm delighted to get to, to stand in in some small way for, uh, for him in, in bringing the Word of God to you. Um, I, it, it, it's Father's Day. This is a great day uh, and an exciting day to be here. Um, I've been thinking a lot. We lost my dad in April. He had a, had a stroke. And so I've been thinking a lot over the last couple of months just about the way that my dad's life has, has shaped me. Um, there, there are so many things that I'm, I'm discovering about myself as I get older that I think, oh, my soul, that's what my dad gave me. And I'm not sure that I even realized that when I was younger. My, my dad always has had kind of a uh, a sense of adventure, you know. He loves to get involved and do things, and, and uh, I, I, he's kind of instilled that in me. My mom was always very cautious, you know. She was a little bit uh, afraid of doing anything that might be, you know, out there too risky or anything like that, and my dad was always like, no, let the kid go, <laughs> you know. So uh, I remember coming home one time for uh, with a, a, a brochure from Boy Scouts saying that I could go to Philmont Scout Ranch, which was the big adventure, you know, hike across New Mexico kind of thing, and, and uh, my mom was like, well, I don't know about that. Rattlesnakes and all that kind of, bears and all that kind of stuff, and, and my dad was like, oh, no, it'll be great. Let the kid go, you know. I actually messed up my knee that year and didn't get to go, but certainly wasn't because my dad didn't encourage me to go and be a part of it. other things like that he's, he's done. My, my dad also taught me how to be kind to people. I saw my dad treat people with kindness that he completely disagreed in every way with you know politically he was at the other end of the spectrum from his boss and you know when they would talk about politics he would just kind of get quiet and not say much but that he always treated him with respect and with kindness and I saw him do that in lots of different ways and I think to the extent that I've been able to do that that that's a tribute to my dad at knowing how to care for people, even, even people that you don't necessarily agree with or you don't necessarily um, have affinity with. Um, my dad really taught me the importance of work, um, taught me how important it was to be able to to, to, uh, uh, to invest in the things that I was doing. Not Not just because I get a paycheck at the end of the week, but because God is given us the opportunity to use our work in some way to work out His kingdom purposes. And He instilled that in me. You know, He loved His job. He never worked in ministry, but He loved His job. And He always saw that as what God had called Him to do. I miss Dad, but um, it's good to reflect on the things that He's given me. You'll forgive me if this sermon gets a little bit personal in places. This is all still pretty fresh for me. But I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that may not seem exactly obvious, um, but it's found in in the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. If you've got a copy of God's Word, I'd appreciate it if you'd find that and and turn to it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me set the stage for us a little bit in terms of where we are in the Word of God. First of all, um, paul is was on his second missionary journey. Um, When he came to Thessalonica, he had uh, been with Barnabas all over the, the Asia Minor, the area that would be Turkey now, on his first missionary journey. They had established churches there. On his second missionary journey, he travels with Silas and with Timothy. They go back to many of those churches, encouraging those churches. And then he gets to the point where he crosses over the Aegean into Europe and into Greece. He goes first of all to Philippi. Now, Philippi responded, the people there responded to the gospel, but Paul ended up being beaten, thrown in jail, and left there. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it was on top of that that he leaves. So he leaves the Philippi after being badly treated, and he makes his way directly to Thessalonica. And while he might have, gone to Thessalonica and said, I'm going to be a little more quiet about it here. I'm going to not do so much. That wasn't what Paul did. He goes immediately to the Jewish synagogue and starts to proclaim Christ as he arrives in town. Now some of the Jews responded almost immediately and we start to see the the buds of this new church at Thessalonica start to happen because of these people that that are responding to the gospel. Mostly Jews at first and then some of the Grecian women that were in the area start to respond to the gospel. And Paul is starting to see this church at Thessalonica start to take shape. The Jews, the leaders of the synagogue, were very angry about this. Timothy said, who wrote the book of, of Acts? Luke. Luke, says, Luke says in the book of Acts that they were jealous of Paul, and so they started, to, uh, they started to, to create problems. They actually went to the center of town and just grabbed a whole bunch of ruffians and start to create a riot, and they don't seem to be able to find Paul or Silas, and so they go and grab the person whose house he was staying at, Jason's house, and they come back. Um, And drag him up in front of the people. And they say, these people have been turning the world upside down and now they've come here. And so they, you know, cause Jason, tell Jason that he's got to put up uh, some kind of a, of a, of a, of a, a deposit for them or something like that. And then the church slips Paul and Silas and Timothy out of town at night and continued on with the gospel. They go on to Berea next. I know I'm getting a little carried away with this, but this is fun. They go on to Berea next. And what happens in Berea is you start to, the, the, the people start to study God's word. The Old Testament, they start to study it and see these, these you know, uh, pictures of what was going to happen when the Messiah come, And they start to believe in Christ. Well, the Thessalonian leaders in the Jewish synagogue heard about that. And these Thessalonian Jews that had caused so much trouble for the church in Thessalonica make their way to Berea and start to make trouble for Paul and Silas in Berea as well. Well, Paul ends up going on to, uh, to Corinth. And he decides to write a letter back to Thessalonia, to Th- Thessalonica where, I didn't have much time to prepare, <laughs> back to Thessalonica, where he's he's uh, he's going to once again, you know, try to encourage the church. It's really kind of interesting. I don't know how often Paul wrote letters like this up until this time. As far as we know, this letter, 1 Thessalonians, is the earliest book written in the New Testament. It appears that written about 50 AD. So, 20 years after the resurrection and all that stuff happens is when we're, we're, we're seeing this. And this, is, this seems to be the first letter, at least that we have, that Paul's written. You know, I'm not sure, but I think that Paul is trying to establish some remote approaches to church. This is like first century Zoom that we get here as we look at his, at his uh, first Thessalonians letter. But he's writing back to them because they're facing the persecution that, they, that, they, that he faced with the Jews, not the Jewish leaders in the synagogue, not wanting to see this happen. So as Paul starts to write to the, the, the church, this little upstart church in Thessalonica, he starts out by just affirming what God has done in them tells them this is not something that you decided. It's something that God gave to you and you responded because of His call in your life. It's huge. And then he goes on and starts to defend himself. We see Paul do that in several different places in, in, in the Scripture. But what appears to have happened is it appears that the Jews are continuing to, to lambast the church for believing the gospel and to accuse Paul of all kinds of wrong things. So Paul starts to tell him, no, that's not true. Um, really, three primary things that he defends himself in. First of all, he says, I did not do this to try to please people. I'm not out there trying to make a name for myself. I'm not trying to do anything like that. So he makes that really clear. He says over and over again, that's not why I did this. I didn't do it to try to please people. Second thing he says, I didn't do this out of greed. I'm not trying to raise money. I'm not going around telling people this stuff so that they give me things. They didn't do it out of greed. And thirdly, he says, this is not a message that I just made up. This is the very word of God. What I really want us to look at in this chapter, though, is Paul's description of his time with the Thessalonian believers. I love this passage. I've been in my quiet times on this, and this is kind of how I came up with this. Because it's not the most obvious passage, but he describes his relationship with this new Thessalonian church in a way that's just incredible. Uh, Look look with me. In chapter 2, we're going to... I'm going to have to put on my reading glasses. Chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 7. Now again, Paul's been defending himself, and he says, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead, we were gentle among you as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers, working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly and righteously and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you, believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. (laughs) There is so much richness in the Word of God that it almost gets to be hard to try to pick out what we're going to focus on in this passage. I think probably the key verse in all of this may be for me, verse 8. We cared so much for you that you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own lives because we cared that much for you. That what he's saying is, Church of Thessalonica, this is not about somebody who's wanting something for you or trying to get something for you. You know that we loved you, that we loved you when we were there, and as we're writing, we're praying for you, and we're thinking about you, that it's out of love that all this comes about. He talks about some specific characteristics, being devout and being righteous and that kind of stuff, that he talks about, and I think all that's important because Paul and Silas lived lives that were appropriate among, among the Thessalonians for whatever time he was there. But he uses two images as he describes his relationship with them, that I think are gorgeous images. I mean, it is the Bible, right? But he says, first of all, we were gentle with you like a nursing mother. The, the picture is, is like baby Sophia with, in, their, in her mother's arms being held and nurtured and cared for. He says that's the kind of way that we treated you guys that's what we did because of our love for you we cared for you like a mother is gentle with her own baby there's a little bit of textual variance and if you're looking at like the niv it says something like we were a um uh, we were like a uh, um, uh, 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 we were like children to a mother in the way that we responded um, it, it's really hard to tell, you know, what, which one of these are. It, it, it probably, the best, best understanding of that is gentle, but there's a little textual variance in there, and that's why that shows up in the NIV as a little bit different. But it comes down to about the same thing, that regardless of which way you look at it, that Paul's talking about how gentle he was. But today's really not Mother's Day, it's Father's Day. And the other image that Paul focuses on that I really, really love is being As fathers to the people. He says, just like a father, we spoke into your lives. He uses three different words here, and I think they're all incredible. I, I, I started reading this in multiple translations, you know, just to try to, try to get a sense of, of how different di- these different words are, are used and if there's difference between the words. Sometimes in, in the Bible, there's words that are echoed. They, they just use synonyms to say the same thing for emphasis. I really think that Paul is using three different words here to, to illustrate three different things in terms of the way that he speaks. And it's important for us to understand that he's calling these fatherly things to to do that this is not merely something that they did, but he 's saying, we did this like fathers would do that, that these are very fatherly things to do. The first word that he uses he uses the words the word encouraged. First of all, we encouraged you. It's a good word. Encourage is, there's some other words that are used, uh, I, I, I can't remember exactly what they are, but, but the word is parakaleo. My, my Greek isn't fantastic, but because there was so much da- variation in the words, I went back and looked at the original words and looked them up in, a, in Vine's dictionary to make sure that I understood what they meant. But, but parakaleo essentially means to exhort or to admonish. It's to urge someone Forward in some kind of a a specific direction. So he's not talking about we encouraged you, like, you know, you were kind of down, and so we encouraged you to feel better or something like that. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying we encouraged you in a direction. I don't know when my dad decided that I needed to go to college. My dad didn't go to college. He was a lifelong learner, but he never went to college. He never really seemed to feel the need for that. But I don't even remember him telling me. Sonny boy, you need to go to college. He said, where are you going to go when you graduate from high school? You know, you're going to go to college. I never really even questioned whether I would do that or not. He spoke to me often about the kinds of schools that he thought I ought to go to and the way that I ought to approach college and how I ought to... man that never went himself. He encouraged me along that path. He may have decided later in life that he had over-encouraged me when I had graduated with uh, uh, two different master's degrees and almost a third master's degree and then finished a doctorate. He asked me, he said, okay, Sonny, so you finished a doctorate now, that's it, right? No more college. And I said, you never know, Dad. I mean, there's always more to learn. But but he may have felt like he over-encouraged me later in his life. But the truth is, is that he really tried to encourage what I was going to do, to encourage the choices I was going to make in life. And Paul says that's the way that we treated you. As a father who encourages his son or his daughter to move on in life, to move forward in some way, we encourage you to move on developing your faith in Christ second word that he uses here, um, comfort, is probably a really good way to express that. Um, The word paramatheomai really actually uh, means something like to soothe or to console. It's when I'm dealing with pain or I'm dealing with hurt or I'm dealing with something that a father says to me, I care, it's okay, you're going to be all right. Um, last year, um, a lady that I'd gotten very, very close to and was planning to spend the rest of my life with um, uh, died suddenly. It's been a tough year. Um, She had been around long enough that my parents had gotten to know her and love her. And so for dad, this involved some, some grief of his own. But he was also grieving because he knew that this was hurtful and painful to me. Now, my dad was never the kind of man who gushed emotion. You know, he was sort of the strong, silent, you know, this is what men are supposed to be like, kind of man like like most of the men of his generation. He never gushed emotion. But he called me and he got on the phone. And with tears in his voice, he just said, son, I'm just so sorry. I'm just so sorry. Doesn't take it away, doesn't make it better, but it sure is soothing to hear those words from your father. And Paul says, that's what we were like with you. When you were facing persecution because of the gospel, we stood with you, we soothed you. We were close to you. We, we we comforted you. That's what we were like. The third word um, is is a little bit of an odd kind of word here, uh, and a little hard to to in, interpret. My my translation uses the word, implored, and that's probably not bad. Um, the word uh, "marturamai" uh, is actually sort of a derivative word from the word "martir," which means to witness or to bear witness to. Essentially, in its in its most basic meaning, what this word meant is when someone was called to testify. So it was like you know you get called up in court because you're, you've witnessed some accident, and so you have to tell what it is that you saw or something like that called to testify is kind of the idea of this most of the time, but that doesn't seem to fit the context here. There's another way that the word was used in sort of minor ways that I think is a better fit. Essentially, it, it, it it can mean to make a solemn appeal. And I think that's what Paul means when he says that we implored you to walk worthy of God. That he was saying, we make a solemn appeal to you. This is not just encouragement. This is, the the, the ESV uses the word charge. We we charge you to walk worthy of, walk in a way that's worthy of God. And I think that that really kind of gets at the idea that the, the charge of a father to move forward in life, is more than just, I'm hoping you live this way. It's, I want you to be this kind of man, or I want you to be this kind of woman. Dads, I think sometimes it's easy to get the idea that what you say has relatively little meaning to your kids, especially as they get to be adolescents and adults. I don't believe that's true I spent most of my life working with teenagers and and i just got to tell you the way that dads speak words like this words of encouragement and words of comfort and words of charge to their sons and to their daughters is so incredibly formative I mean, let me just tell you one story I was teaching a ninth grade Bible study class, ninth grade boys, years and years ago. There's a kid in the, in the group called Greg. Now, Greg was a sweet kid, you know. He had made a commitment to follow Christ. But the truth is, you know, his faith was sort of just, you know, up in the air every once in a while. He, he, he honestly just was, I, I described him as a goofball, you know. I mean, he was, he was a good kid, but he was just not serious about much of anything. He was just kind of a goofball. <laughs> his dad was the administrator of a, a psychiatric hospital that was, um, that was really making tons and tons of money, you know, just because all the insurance companies would send people in that needed needed a little bit of counseling, a little bit of help, and they'd they just take them and get money off of them. His dad had this major reawakening in, in his faith. I don't know how it happened. He just all of a sudden became more than just sort of a, the nominal Christian that he had been. He 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 really got passionate about every, the faith, affecting every area of his life. And as he did that, he started talking about the need at the psychiatric yeah. hospital to have chaplains on staff that would meet the spiritual needs of the of the people that we had in the in the uh, in the hospital. And the hospital staff, especially the doctors, who were you know many of them very humanistic, atheistic kind of people, they they really didn't want anything to do with anything like that. He ended up losing his job, high powered, high paid job over this. They had a big house that they lived in. Had to sell the house, move into a small place. Greg had to move back into a room with his brother. You know. Um, they didn't have money anymore for you know, the cool new tennis shoes and the cool new jeans and all that kind of stuff. They just didn't have money for it. And I thought, you know, I bet Greg is going to be so angry with his father and maybe even with God because of this. So I decided to talk to him about it. I've never been very good at keeping quiet about things like that. So Greg was in my class one time. He was the first one to arrive. And I was like, I have a question for you. He said, yeah. I so said, all this stuff that's happened... In your family, and he goes, "Yeah, it's been it's been wild." I said, "Does it make you angry that this has happened? Does it make you frustrated at what your dad's done?" And he looked at me like I was insane. (laughs) He said, "No, of course not." He said, "My dad is living for God in an incredible way, and and, I mean, I want to be like him." was awesome. And so I said, well, what about, you know, like having to move into a move in with your little brother and that kind of stuff? That's that's okay with you? And he said, you know, my dad explained to me that we were going to go through some tough times, but that we were going to seek to honor God as our father, and we were going to trust him, and he was going to bring us through all this, and I believe him. Greg started living not as a goofball, but as the most on-fire-for-Christ kid in that youth group. He was, he was, he was incredibly... But it had everything to do with the words that his father spoke over him and the words that his father spoke to him. And Paul said, when we were with you, that we loved you with a mother's love. and spoke words of encouragement and truth over you. Somehow, somehow, that should affect the way that they live their lives. So what do we do with this passage? You know, how do, we, how do we make sense of that for us? <clears throat> if you're here and you still have your dad, whether you be a, a child or a, a teenager or an adult, it may be... That you're kind of like the Thessalonians, that you think, you know, my dad uh, doesn't always have good things to say to me. My dad is not the best dad in the world. My dad is a problem, <laughs> you know. My dad. I, the honest truth is, when I was a kid, I used to think my dad was the meanest guy I ever <laughs> met, you know. And this is a guy that my brother says, he's the best man I ever knew. And he probably is. But it, it, I, just, I just didn't see Dad as being, I mean, he made me, you know, not just giving me things. He made go out and work for it, you know. He was trying to teach me things, but I saw that as difficult and mean. But now, looking back on it, I so much value what my dad gave me. If you still have your dad. Let me just say to you that there is no perfect father that all of us deal with with our sin nature, and all of us fail, and all of us have struggles. But that when you honor your Father, you honor God. When you honor your Father, you honor God. Maybe it's worth saying that we can find ourselves, as a church, like the Thessalonians did, where the leaders who had brought the gospel to them, the leaders who had given them the truth, were falling under uh, accusation and persecution. And maybe it's easy for us to buy the idea that our our, our leaders and our pastors are just not who they ought to be. And the truth is, they all have feet of clay. They all have ways that they're not going to be perfect. But maybe, like Paul was encouraging the Thessalonians, we need to buy into this idea that we are called to honor those who serve among us, those who bring God's word to us. Maybe another way to look at this is to say that we can see ourselves as Paul and Silas and, and Timothy. I think Timothy wasn't much more than a teenager when he comes through here right now. And Paul says, we were like fathers to you. We were loving you like mothers and speaking to you like fathers. We were that kind of people to you. And maybe that's the challenge, that's the example for all of us as we do church together and do life together and as we move out in the community, that our job with each other and with those around us is to love them as if we had a mother's love to give them and to speak words of encouragement and words of solace and words of truth to them as if we had the Father's wisdom. That, that maybe all of us are called to the role of Paul and Silas and Timothy to be people who share out of a deep heart of love words of truth. And I guess maybe because it's Father's Day, I'd like to to say that as fathers, God has put you in the place that He has in order for you to have a tremendous impact on the young lives, on the the children that you've born. And whether they're adults now or whether they're babies or whether they're teenagers, that being a father is important and the words that you speak to them, the words of encouragement as they move forward, the words of solace and comfort as they struggle, and the words of charge, what you hope they'll be as they learn to walk with Christ, these are important words. Make sure you're speaking them, speaking them well. Let me pray with you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've given us fathers to um, speak well into our lives. Help us to honor our fathers. And to learn to be people who speak words of encouragement and words of comfort and words of charge. I pray these things in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.